Welcome to another episode of the Twitch Pod, the week in sports history. I am Pete Fox. He is Mark Care. I believe this is number seven. Does that sound right to you? Six or seven. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> right. All right. We're going to get into the history of winning a ring. Um, a story about a golf trick shot artist doing something a long time ago that I've wanted to do for a long time myself. Um, some Giants history. The strangest trade in baseball ever. This one is, um, I think we could do an entire half an hour on this, but we're not going to. Um, Wait, going- this isn't Frank Robinson for Milt Pappas, is it? No, you know, it's um, two guys that you've never heard of, <laughs> but that's what all makes right. it all the more interesting. Um, before we get into the sports aspect of things, we are going to start with the liquor review because we've been talking about this 19 crimes thing for a yes. couple of weeks now. So you've got the 19 crimes. Um, I yes. Guess okay. So high tech uh, wine bottle ready to go. Right. Okay. So this is what you do. You download this, this app. Okay. Let me see what it's called. It's called Living Wine Labels. And you download this, and all you do is you point it up to the to the label of 19 Crimes. And they have so many different varietals. There's one with Snoop Dogg on it. But I opted to go with this one tonight, Pete. This is called The Uprising. It just says red wine. It's 15%, which is pretty high for a wine. It says aged 30 days in rum barrels. And I will Ooh. say you can taste the sweetness of those barrels, and it is delectable, nice. as I enjoy really quick here. <laughs> i'll join you very very good so okay this is called 19 crimes the uprising and when you point and shoot here it takes you through all sorts of stories let's see if i can get it to go here what sort of a man pins a note containing the most precious secrets to the inside of his jacket then loses it he's an irish man I was bound to join in a combination which was banded together for the good of Ireland. So you can see it goes on for a little while there, and they have multiple sort of skits and everything. That's the one where it's just the guy on the bottle, and he's talking like as though he's the you know the person that committed the crime. He's talking about his crime and kind of giving his take on sentencing and the whole thing. And then there's an actual skit where they act out part of a larger story, and the whole thing comes to life on your phone. That's really cool. But what's even cooler is that the rest of the image on your phone is exactly the room that you're in. So I've got, you know, my kids Legos in the background. I've got the countertop. I've got the television. It's all there except for this little play that comes to life right in front of you for like a minute, minute and a half. Really it sounds cool. like you're on a ride and at Disneyland. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It, it's very much Pirates of the Caribbean. It's incredible. Uh, really cool little tidbit there. And again, how do you go? It's 10 bucks. It's yeah. a cheap wine. I got it $10 at Vevmo, um, and it's really good. It's a tasty wine, and, and it's kind of fun, too. And as far as you know, these are true stories about the criminal that's featured on said bottle. Or is it just yeah. made-up stuff? It could be either. And you know what? I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. I'm going to have to that, – that makes me want to buy 19 Crimes. I've you got to get 19 Crimes. And I, I've been, you know, I've been trying to expand my wine knowledge, and red blends don't generally do that. So I stay away from them for the most part, but that makes me interested in 19 crimes for no other reason that uh, it's just cool tech. You know, I love tech. Um, As I say, I'm not a huge fan of blends. I have a blend, (laughs) but it tells me, there you go. It tells me what's in the blend. All right. It's from the central coast. It's called Moobas. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think it's a terrible okay. name. It's got a terrible label. It's a screw cap. It costs six ninety nine at um, Total Wine. No, not Total Wine. Um, grocery outlet. You know my my honey hole. Okay. But it's two thousand sixteen, so it's good and old. And um, right. Grenache, Syrah, and Mouvedre. I think that's how you say it. Mouvedre. Okay. And I love Grenache and Syrah. And um, when I went to the old, the old um, Vivino app and scanned it, they said this bottle should retail for fifteen ninety nine. So as far as I'm concerned, home run. I'm winning. Absolutely, right and out of the gate. If you're saving nine bucks, man, you're you're ahead of the game. Fourteen percent. So as you mentioned, that's on the higher side. So it's good. Yep. But here's the problem I'm having with this wine. All of the distinct taste characteristics that every other person has mentioned, they say it's bold. I think it's light. They say it's tannic. I think it's smooth. They say it's dry. <laughs> I think it's sweet. And um, they say it's acidic and I think it's soft. So I, I've, Grenache and Syrah to me are soft, smooth, easy drinking wines that will yes, go with absolutely. meat or fish or whatever. Uh, I'm super excited about this one. It also has on the nose, a cola note. And you know me, whenever I find something there that is um, secondary or tertiary that they've described, and because a lot of times they're like, there's leather or smoke or tobacco or chocolate. Sure. And I'm just usually like, yeah, whatever, bullshit. So every now and then, you know, you'll get the grass or the cola or cheese sometimes or chocolate but this one has a cola note there you can smell it and therefore you can taste it a little bit i i love it again it's called mooba's terrible name terrible label screw cap um but it is fantastic central coast 2016 so there you go it makes me wonder if they stuck the wrong description on it like by mistake don't you want to go out to the winery and just ask them a question be like i'm getting the opposite of everything you say right now <laughs> Well, this is just the, you know, opinion of people who had the wine. So evidently. Now, hang on. Are you one of those people that would be embarrassed to call out the winemaker and be like, I'm getting the opposite? Or you'd be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Just to try to fit in. That is a fucking fantastic question. I think <laughs> I, I think I'm the guy that will play along and nod my head and act like I'm smart. <laughs> I totally agree. I can smell those shoelaces. Yep. I got it. I don't have the nuts to say <laughs> what? I don't smell that at all or taste that at all. So I don't know. Maybe as I get a little bit more knowledgeable, that might change. But I think the name comes from the fact that the vineyard is right next to a cow pasture. There you go. <laughs> Which I don't well, know. As so many vineyards are in the Central Coast, let's be honest. All right. So there's Mubas um, and 19 Crimes. That's that's going to be next for me. I got to try that. All right. Let's get to the, the week in sports history. Uh, March 1st. This one is pretty amazing to me because we reference this when we talk about championship teams, like every single time there's a championship team. What do we talk about? Winning a ring. Got to get the well, rings, baby. Got to get, get the rings. rings. It's all about rings, right? Well, in 1910, the National Baseball Commission prohibited the giving of mementos to players after winning the title or a That's championship. That's preposterous. I mean, what else is there if you don't have the proof? I don't understand. What are they... 
what are they doing? Were guys just so poor back then? They would just immediately go and hawk their shit. And they were like, you know what? We just can't have this ending up in the hands of whomever. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I could think, right? I mean, well, why would you stop somebody from celebrating or having a little piece of history to take a look at? No, the answer them? to that question, of course, is yes, they were so yes. cheap. And maybe that's the reason. That's a brilliant notion. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But the, the good news is, obviously, they quickly reversed that decision, making the traditional championship rings and watches. Why don't we get back to that? Mm-hmm. I check out my championship watch so much because more it, functional than those gaudy, ugly rings. But I think that's the exact reason is that it shouldn't be functional. You know what I mean? Like there should be a little bit of in the real world. I'd be humiliated to put this on, but there's something cool because of what this symbolizes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of people have a gaudy watch, Pete, a lot, but at the same time, not too many guys are walking around with a gaudy ring and you instantly know mm-hmm. what they, what's up with them. Yeah. And oh, I wonder what team he played for. Should I ask him? Yeah. That's a that's a World Series ring. Oh, that's an NFL Super Bowl ring. Like, that's really cool, and it does stand out. Well, here's the other funny part. You know, when you work for the organization, even like the receptionist gets a ring. You know, obviously it's a different ring. It doesn't cost quite as much. But I have a buddy who worked for the Kings for many many years and was there when they won the championship in twelve and fourteen, and got one of those big gaudy rings. And yep. He was one of my good friends, and I think he's one of the coolest mofos around. But he wears that ring a little too much, <laughs> you know, like like almost. Like you weren't day. on the field, dude. Dial it back. Dial yeah, it back. Yeah, That's what so. we have boxes for. <laughs> but no, it's would... funny because my and my ex wife has a cousin who works for the Dodgers, and you know, just got one of theirs. I think it's I think it's well. 37% of one, right? Because that's what they earned when you play 37% of a season. Yeah, exactly. You get 37% of a championship 37% ring. of a ring, exactly. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, but he worked for the team, and he was at the games. He was the PA announcer. So, you know, I guess it made sense. A lot of the other front office guys, Luke Robitaille and the like, they would wear their rings a lot of the time, too. Um, so I kind of got it, but I it was so big and just difficult i that was the part that i had a problem with it's like it's just knocking into things and it's just so Oh, it's gaudy it's half the size of your hand some of these rings yeah they're bigger than watches honestly so um it's quite ostentatious but i i you know i think that's what it's all about so i get it all right um, dude you know what i think it's actually kind of a status symbol for your organization too because um and, and just kind of lets you know who you're really surrounding yourself with because there was one year where i was at Sa- uh, san diego charger training camp mm-hmm. and there was one of the guys in the pr department he was showing me around and i asked him i was like so if the chargers get a uh, get a super bowl ring this year do you get one too he goes we get a ring, but not with real gems. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh man, only Cubic. the Chargers would pull some shit like that. No, that's standard. That's the way it goes that's for it. Only the players get the real ones. The other people get like dialed down, cheaper versions. But here's the thing that's interesting yeah. about it. I, I love, I love the response when somebody interviewing a dude or chick that's won a championship, and they go, "Hey, where's your MVP? Where's your championship ring?" And they're like. I don't know. I think it's in the safe at my mom's house. I love that answer. We're like, I don't know where it is. It's just like, no big deal. Like I, I lost know. that thing. I lost that thing years ago. I don't know. I think somebody stole it. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it get hawked right. on eBay. I love that answer better than I know exactly where oh, it's right here in my pocket. I got it for you. Uh, <laughs> all right. March 2nd, 1932. I know you're not a big golfer, but I, I think you'll like this story. Um, a golf trick start artist by the name of Joe Kirkwood, an Australian dude shoots an 83 which is a pretty decent round of golf, right? But here's what made it interesting. He did the entire thing with only a putter. He played a full-length regulation course, and he only used his putter. Six pars, one birdie to shoot 83. 
I've wanted to try this my entire life, but I just don't ever have the courage because, well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, when I was a kid, I'd go down to the park and hit golf balls around. One time I did it with only my putter and I, and I broke the club. So that makes me <laughs> fearful that if I tried this in real life, I might break the club, but then I'd be screwed. Um, yeah. Well, you got to bring a backup putter for sure. I, I actually think Pete, uh, with my complete inability to even make contact with the ball with a driver or irons or anything else, I actually think I'd play a better round with the putter <laughs> than all the other clubs. I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm money on the putt-putt. I love yeah. the mini golf course. I think I could actually score a better round with just a putter. Well, you know, they say that a lot of times that people overthink it when you've got 14 clubs to choose from. Sometimes they recommend young golfers, new golfers to have driver like a seven iron, a wedge and a putter. So four clubs. Yeah. Not, you don't need 14. You don't know what they do. No. So don't waste no. your time. So I get it. Right. I get it. I, 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 one of these days, I think I'm going to, I'm at the very minimum, I'm going to try the four club round and then maybe even the putter round. It, it just seems like kind of a waste, but who knows, you know, as I get, when I'm retired and I'm playing golf, like every day, then it's going to sure. get boring. Right. You're going to like, we got to try some new shit. So I would think so. Yeah, you got to figure out a way to mix it up. Now, the question is, again, do you have the gravitas to make the people behind you sit there and wait while you fuck around with 14 shots around with a putter? I mean, those guys got no time yeah, for you. That's a good Or point. your malfeasance and shenanigans, Pete Come Fox. on. Let's go, dude. That's a good point. I might piss off some people. Oh, the natives knows. would be restless in a hurry. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one is This one is gargantuan balls award. All right. 1993, Mario Lemieux undergoes his final cancer treatment, then goes and plays a game for the Penguins and scores a goal. I mean, that is big balls, right? Um, that's a man. He's a man. That's incredible. That's all you got you know, to say. They used to say about Stuart Scott, you know, when he was going through his cancer treatment, that he'd go to the gym afterwards. The gym. And he was a hero for the gym. You yeah. know, what about Mario Lemieux going out and playing in the NHL and Having success, scoring a goal, I can't imagine. I've seen people, I've never had cancer. I know people that have, you know, peers of mine as, of course, elderly relatives and things like that. You see them go through cancer treatment. There's nothing left. There's nothing no, left after that. can barely walk, much less go play how, a professional how, sporting event. It's impossible. It's, I mean, it's that. It's the flu game. Like, it, it gets talked about, but I don't think things like that are truly appreciated enough for how superhuman they really right. are these professional right. athletes i mean you think about the best player at whatever sport is your favorite the best player you knew from high school can't even get on the playing surface with these guys not even close you know the worst guy you know in the nba i used to say this about lawrence funderburk who was it was a, a career 12th man for the sacramento kings and i go lawrence funderburk could come out here in the best rec league team we have the team that nobody can compete can compete with at all and he can put up 200 points on their ass and he wouldn't even be trying they right. are that much better the worst player you know in the sport is the best player you would have ever met in your life yeah for sure yeah without a doubt they make it look so easy and then when you think about like okay common cold right you're just so run down all you want to do is sit on the couch you know yeah. eat soup and watch tv you don't feel like going to the kitchen much less you know, in the car down to the arena or the rink to play hockey. So again, I just, uh, I marvel at that kind of achievement from Mario Lemieux. So uh, well, way to okay, go, Lemieux. I'm going to butcher, 
I'm going to butcher the story, but what was the receiver a couple of years ago? I think he was a Bengal or something. He was going to the postseason. He was up late the night before and had the flu. and was just real sick. Not even what Jordan went through. And he was just like, yeah, that's right. I'm rallying tomorrow. I'm showing up. Flu game, baby. He had two catches for 13 yards and a fumble. He's <laughs> just like, dude, you have no idea. You have no idea what goes into this. How hard it is to play at that level in complete and total health and shape and wellness let alone be one of these guys that goes out there and puts in a storybook performance like that. And you can just nod and smile at this one. I know you hate this one, but these are one of the, these, these stories I enjoy the derivation of the history of said baseball or professional sports team. Uh, March 3rd, 1953, the Boston Braves who own the Mil- This is how the Braves ended up in Milwaukee and then bought um, Atlanta, but the Boston Braves, owned the Milwaukee minor league franchise and the St. Louis Browns were trying to move to Milwaukee on a side note. I don't understand the attraction to Milwaukee in the fifties. Why was everyone like, no. we got to get to Milwaukee. I mean, they make, Pete, I don't understand it now. I don't understand it right now. You couldn't pay me to go to Milwaukee. Are you insane? It's actually a pretty fun town, but like, it's still a small market town. Right. But so very small. Yeah. The smallest, quite honestly, other than green Bay. Yeah. It's second right. to Green Bay and all the professional sports when it comes to the smallest market, right? It, it's it's weird. Wisconsin, man. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to be there. <laughs> well, nobody wants to be there. St. Louis Browns wanted to be there, and so did the Boston Braves. So the Boston Braves, since they had the minor league team there, they blocked the Browns from moving there. And then they moved there themselves. And the Braves played there from 53 until 66. And then they moved on to Atlanta. And then there was a whole nother story about how I think it was the Seattle Pilots moved to Milwaukee and they became the Milwaukee Brewers, but we're not talking about that. So uh, I, I just yeah. find that stuff all very interesting. Um, March well, it, is, it is funny how, you know, it, that kind of stuff, it is funny when you see just the origins of these franchises and you look back in time, you're like, wow, they were the what? You know what I mean? Like you just don't even, like, like you just said, Seattle Pilots? How many of the average sports fan even knows what the hell the Seattle Pilots were <laughs> yeah. from? You know what I mean? They couldn't yeah. name the era and they couldn't name the sport unless you told them. Indeed. It's, it's, it's fascinating and it's so convoluted, a lot of these stories, that it's hard to follow and it's hard to, you know, retain for more than a minute or two. So let's move on. <laughs> Dude, how, stoked, how stoked was the St. Louis franchise that they didn't have to move, pick up and move to Milwaukee? Right, exactly. Like if yeah. I won that team, I, I'm staying in St. Louis and I am kissing the Braves' asses for blocking that move because I don't want to go to Milwaukee. I'm staying in St. Louis. St. Louis rocks. St. Louis is a cool town as well. All right, 1959, as a Giants fan, I hope you know this, but maybe you don't, so be honest. Uh, the Giants Stadium out on Candlestick Point, was renamed yes. Candlestick Park for the Candlestick Bird. I did not know that. That's why they called it the Candlestick Park and Candlestick Point. It's because of this annoying bird that lived on that little you know, piece of land there and called the Candlestick Bird. Were you aware of that? I had no idea. No, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea why it was called Candlestick Point. I had no idea that was a bird thing. That stadium... As I don't know, did you ever go? I'm sure you did. You went up to times, yeah. to see some baseball yeah. games, right? One giant Dude, game and one minor game. That was the craziest stadium of all time because you would show up and and you'd be in shorts, shirtless, you know what I mean, or t-shirt or whatever it is, and you'd be scorching in the sun. And two hours later, after the sun went down and the wind started laughing at you from just there above the, you know, mm-hmm. right there off the bay. Mm-hmm. 
it was so cold, Pete. It would go from 90 degrees to 48 degrees in two hours. It was insane. Yeah. And the way the winds yep. used to whip through there, you know, as the story goes, I mean, Willie Mays, you know, 660 home runs, like, oh, that, that park stole at least 100 from him. At oh, least 100. Really? He would have been the all-time huh? leader, not even close. Like 800 was in his crosshairs if he wasn't playing in any other stadium. Like we talked about before, it's so weird how baseball is so hung up on its numbers when you could have removed Willie Mays. What if he played in Yankee Stadium? What if he was a Yankee? If he was a Yankee with that or short Boston, porch right? out Oh, my God, 800 home runs <laughs> for the greatest baseball player that ever lived. Yeah. Willie Mays, 660 yeah. in that ballpark. That is truly incredible. Um, I, my, my, the coldest baseball game I ever went to was at Wrigley field in like June or maybe it was May, but it was like freezing. I was like, how yeah. is it so cold here? It's like what should be summer. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember it being terribly cold at candlestick. Uh, I was like, I said, I was there for a football game and a baseball game, but I guess we got lucky and we didn't have to deal with all of that, but we have just a tad bit more, Giants history, uh, and I have a personal connection to this one. Um, on this day, March 4th, 1976, Bob Lurie buys the San Francisco Giants for $8 million. He would sell the team in 92 um, for $100 million because he was basically out of money. He couldn't afford to keep the franchise running anymore. Well, um, my personal connection is about, what was it, four or five years ago, I was doing uh, our former radio show, uh, in Palm Springs at a golf store and somebody walks up with this older gentleman and says, Hey, this guy used to own the giants. And I'm like, whatever. What? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, he's like, hi, I'm Bob Lurie. Nice to meet you. I go, Hey Bob, nice to meet you. So you owned the giants or were you like a part owner? And he's like, no, no, no. I owned the giants. I was like, okay. And I went and looked him up and got his whole history and he was a very nice guy and so forth and so on. But it's, it's a crazy story because he was not your, Mark Cuban or, you know, Jera, he wasn't that guy. He was, a, you know, he was a successful businessman, but he didn't have money coming right. out of his ass. So he, he was struggling to keep this team alive uh, and was out of money, basically. So he sold them for a $92 million profit. So I think in the end he won. It's just so insane, man, how you can be thought of as broke and then just go, I, I give up. I'm cashing in my chips and then make nine figures. <laughs> like that's that's insanity. Yeah. And there's there's no way that any purchase of any sports team goes anything but this way. Right. I mean, everybody you're, you're always making money and cartoonishly more mm. than you bought it for. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and you start to think about some of these these quote unquote broke owners over the years like the McCourts, like what a disaster that was for the Dodgers. You know yeah. what I mean? That guy walked over away with over a billion dollars. What did he sell that team for? Like two, two million? million. Two like, billion. It was ridiculous. Like he he yeah. basically bought it with money he didn't have. Yeah. From being in, I believe it was uh, it was porta potties, right? That's where no, he no. made his money. A parking lots. Parking lots. He okay. still owns parking the lots. parking lot at Dodger Stadium and gets the revenue from that. I mean, it's insane. Like, how the hell did that guy do it? He ran. I miss McCourt. He ran that franchise into the ground. God damn, that was a good time in my life where they just sucked every single year. Boy, do I miss Frank McCourt. Let me ask you this. Good God. Does this bother you at all that it was from 1976 to 1992? It's not like round even years. Like, it's not 70 or 75 or 80. It's 76 to 92. Is that just me? 
Okay. What are you talking about, man? It's just, it's <laughs> why, like why would you, that matter? Well, it's usually like 20 years or 15 years or 10 years, like a round number. 76. He didn't decide when he was going to go broke. <laughs> By the way, those were dark days in Giants history, too. With that, Aside from the brief uh, uprising they had in 89, and I think yeah. you know maybe in the late 80s they had another decent team. I think it was 87 where they got to the NLCS. But I, those were predominantly dark days under the Lurie ownership. And that, that they just were never competitive when I was a, when I was a kid. All right, it's the week in sports history. Uh, we talk about usually history from the long time ago, but we also talk about things that happened yesterday or the day before. And th- this is a story that I have to share with you from a couple of wagers I made um, yesterday and the day before. Because this what? never happens gambling? to me. Yes. Th- this never happens to me. I won on two consecutive days games with the garbage time buckets. And I was oh. like, you know, like it's 30 seconds. One team is way ahead, right? And I need like two more points to hit the over. And it's like a three at the buzzer. That means nothing. It happened to me twice. I was like, this is like this is heaven to me. You know, I won five bucks. It's not a big deal, but um, yes, I was like, course. it was so exciting. And you know, I couldn't share it with anybody because nobody gives a shit. Try to tell my wife and she's nobody like, nobody gives a shit. You got to start lying about these numbers. You know what I mean? Okay. Like your All stories right. get infinitely more entertaining. If you just start multiplying them by a hundred dollar increments, like I won 500 bucks, man. Like it was awesome. Everybody like, Oh dude, that's awesome. Like people would actually be on board. Nobody gives yeah. a shit because yeah. you always tell them the dollar amount. All and right. then we just feel bad for you. It's always just embarrassing. We're like, Oh really? Dark days at the Pete Fox house, dude, like $5 bets. You've got to be kidding me, man. But no, that, you, and no, you, you'll forget about that in a month. You know no, what I mean? You'll, Garbage oh, time bucket wins will. are the best. That is like they the are. best. But I'm telling you, it's the wiring of human beings. We we don't remember the successes where we got we got that late time crunch backdoor, the king of the cover, you know, the backdoor cover. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that. You will remember the time that it fucked you. You will remember <laughs> that until your dying days. So I'm true. All you. right. You remember the backdoor <laughs> defeats, not the wins. All right, this is a story that we could spend an entire half hour on, but we won't. March 5th, 1973. Now, I need you to focus. Pay attention. I know that I'm locked in. you're enjoying your 19 crimes and all, but focus. I am. Because this is like, it's kind of hard to follow, but it's amazing. 1973. In what might be one of baseball's strangest trade stories ever, Yankees pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich trade lives as Kekich moves in with Peterson's wife, Marilyn, and Peterson moves in with Kekich's wife, Suzanne. They also kept the kids with the moms, the dogs, and all of that stuff. Fritz Peterson and Suzanne Kekich are still married today. Remember, this all started in 1973. Unfortunately, Mike Kekich and Marilyn Peterson didn't work out, but this is how it went down. The four of them went to dinner after a game or something, and then they were heading back to their hotel or whatever. And Peterson says to Kekich, hey, why don't you ride with my wife? Complete, according to the story I read, completely harmlessly, right? He wasn't trying but to- why would you, What do you mean? What is that harmlessly? That was not harmlessly. If no, he no. said, why don't you ride with my wife? He was angling for the other dude's wife. Mark my freaking words on that one. <laughs> 
That's that, such then a, why would you do that? Well, because you're just trying to get to know each other. I've done that plenty of times where you're like, we're all friends. We're just trying to get to know each other. And you ride with her. I'll ride with her. We'll be, you know, we'll, we'll just spend some time, get to know each other. I, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe no, he was uh, making he, a play. Pete, you've got your own little things going on. You're a scoundrel enough in your own personal life, man. Nobody thinks like you. Okay, nobody, no human being actually thinks like you. These guys, whatever was going on, and first of all, of course his name is Fritz. You know what I mean? Like, how could that go any other way? Um, the other uh, thing is, didn't this sort of thing kind of come up? I mean, this has happened a few other times in sports, but not with the complete wife swap. This has happened where, um, oh God, who, it was uh, Tony Parker had that whole thing with, uh, I think it was, was it Brent Barry's wife? Like there was a whole thing with that. Um, there was some drama there where there well, might have well, been this, some sleeping around yeah, with there, teammates. Of- Eric Lindros, his career got cut short because he kept getting obliterated and concussed, and his teammates wouldn't back him up because he was banging one of his teammates' wives too. So no, this is that's a whole different story. That's cheating and scandalous and it all is. that. This is not scandalous Absolutely. because no. everyone was in on it. There was no sneaking around. Everyone signed off on it, right? That's Fritz incredible. said, Fritz said, hey. Why don't you take my wife? And Mike said, yeah, why don't you did. take my wife and kids and dog and house and everything? And they just, the guys literally moved out into the other guy's house. And they were like that for a while. As I said, Peterson and Kekich, Suzanne, are still married today, 40 plus years later. But the other That's two wonderful. didn't work out. It worked out. Who broaches that conversation? And how, I mean, th- that guy, that guy is just a linguistic wizard. You know, I must bow at his feet. Like which one of them was like, you know, so about that ride home the other night. I mean, I don't know how you can confidently go into that conversation uh, thinking this is going to end any way what, other than a knife into your forehead. What is the famous quote from George? I'm not a, what does he say? Uh, I'm <laughs> Remember the famous thing with George when he was trying to, uh, he was trying to do some sort of switcheroo yes, and, and he says yes. to Jerry, but I'm the not a swap. The roommate swap. That's what it was. The roommate yeah. swap. He was trying yeah. to trick. Yeah. Jerry was trying to switch one roommate for the other. Yeah. And George said, once you, once you get into that world, you can't get out. Oh, that's right. That's right. The menage a trois thing. And then Jerry was like, no, then I have to have weird orgy friends. I have to dress <laughs> like, or I have to have orgy clothes. I have to that's have a- orgy friends. <laughs> Like that's it. I have to, I have to dress differently. I have to have sort of lotions and fragrances coming out of my apartment at all the time. I have to wear robes. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's that's a life. It, yeah. it is quite literally the lifestyle change, but I, I I'm, I'm sort of even more baffled by the fact that they had the kids. Like, that I don't know how you can have me. that conversation at school. Just you know, call like, me dad. I, I, now. You don't call him dad it, anymore. You call me dad. It was awkward at school when our little league teams would face off and one one team would get the short end of the stick. That was like, or like uh, we played tag last recess in PE and my team got the best of your team. That was good for two recesses of no speaking whatsoever. How how do you possibly get away with that on the playground? Those poor kids, they're scarred for life. I think I will agree with the fact that Fritz Peterson, the guy that instigated the whole thing, was really after Suzanne. But the fact of the matter was that all four of these people were kind of just on the fence about their significant others, right? So Fritz and um, Marilyn were just like, eh, whatever. 
And Mike Kekic and Suzanne Kekic were like, eh, whatever. So when Fritz said, well, why don't we just switch? They were all like, okay. Because <laughs> for, for Marilyn Peterson and Mike Kekic, they, they clearly were not in love with their significant others. So they just switched. <laughs> and they thought, well, maybe this will be better. It wasn't for them. But at least, because let, let's, let's think about this for a second. If they never did this, all four of them would probably be with different people. At least Fritz Peterson and Suzanne Kekic made it work. So they made it work, but it was also his idea. And I do feel like the other one, Suzanne, she always resented Mike because he didn't think it up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there was a few was always, sacrificial lambs, right? I think so. I think that's ultimately what drives them apart. See, in that case, it's like, no, 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 it was my idea first. It's like, I was the second choice. Well, well you said, you know what I mean? Like there's always got to be a little tension there by the fact that it was her ex that brought it up, not him. <laughs> It is such an interesting story with so many different angles to examine. Literally, we could spend an hour on this, but uh, we're not going to because we're done. Mark LeCare, Pete Fox, The Twish Pod, thank you for joining us. We will catch you next week.